This is Recorded Future, Inside Security Intelligence. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 194 of the Recorded Future podcast. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire. Our guest is Nick Sinai, Senior Advisor at Insight Partners, a global venture capital and private equity firm investing in high-growth software companies. Before joining Insight in 2014, Nick served in the White House, where he was U.S. Deputy Chief Technology Officer. At the White House, Nick led President Obama's open data initiatives and helped start and grow the Presidential Innovation Fellows Program, which brings entrepreneurs, innovators, and technologists into government. Nick is a senior fellow and former adjunct faculty at the Harvard Kennedy School, where he taught a technology and innovation in government field class. Nick is also an advisor to Coding It Forward, a nonprofit that places computer science, data science, and design students in federal agencies. Stay with us. wanted to be a venture capitalist, or at least I, I had started as a management consultant coming out of college and, and had gone to business school with the eye of getting into venture capital. Um, and so I did just that and, and talked my way into a venture capital firm here in the Boston area called Polaris Venture Partners. Worked on a number of investments uh, for Polaris and then eventually got hired at a second firm. Uh, the only challenge was I was on my honeymoon when Lehman Brothers went bust. And, <laughs> wow. And I, I had just joined Lehman Brothers Venture Partners uh, the, to help build a new Boston office uh, of a um, Silicon Valley headquartered venture firm. Um, and so, you know, I turned to my wife and said, you know, you thought you married a venture capitalist. This was in Italy, uh, the very first uh, day of our honeymoon. And uh, I said, you know, let's let's enjoy our honeymoon and we'll figure it out when we when we get back. Um, and sure enough, um uh, there wasn't an uh, opportunity for me going forward. Uh, the venture firm uh, was able to be spun out and is now Tanaya Capital. But I was in my early 30s and decided to do a bit of a career pivot. Um, I'd been in venture capital almost five years uh, post-MBA um, and decided to do this pivot to go into the public sector. Yeah, that's interesting. And can you share some insights? I mean, what what is the... Is there a typical career path for those looking to get into venture capital? I mean, is it is it the is the business degree the the most common way to go in that direction? No, that's actually pretty atypical these days. Um, hmm. um, so there are s- some folks from from business school, principally HBS and Stanford, that that kind of make their way into venture capital, and, and more so on the the private equity side. Uh, um, but uh, I'd say a more conventional path uh, is is uh, being in in the tech economy. You know, being at a startup or being at big tech, uh, doing something on the engineering or product management side, and then coming coming into one of these firms. And so I essentially had to talk my way into it. Where uh, at the time Polaris uh, had said, you know, look, we're we're not really hiring MBAs, and and uh, there isn't a long term career trajectory for you. And by the way, you've been doing mostly telecom strategy consulting, and, and we're more interested in, in internet and enterprise software. And I said, no worries. Like, uh, I can learn enterprise software and internet, and uh, I'm excited uh, to be in the industry. We don't have to worry about a long-term kind of career track kind of thing, and just pay me like I don't have an MBA. And having surmounted all of those objections and 
you know, I hit, hit it off with them. I got hired there. And, um, and then the Lehman Brothers Venture Partners was a career track opportunity. And so I was, I was very excited about that. And nine months into that, when, when Lehman Brothers went bust and, um, you know, in retrospect, I'm, I'm really excited that Lehman went bust because it, it opened the door for me to do uh, a public sector career or at least a, a stint in, in government. And uh, I managed to start talking to the transition team of the Obama administration and eventually got hired as, as uh, part of the National Broadband Plan, which was a one of these blue ribbon task force um, and in this case, we were looking at how broadband and advanced communication can can help the, the national good. Um, and so I was uh, assigned to lead a small team doing energy and environment um, and an intersection with communications. And so I recruited a, a small team and, and we worked on a series of recommendations that we presented to the administration and to Congress. And I was asked to testify to Congress. And so that, that was tremendous fun. And uh gave my first gave me a, a chance to get into the policy making side of things uh, and from there I got hired at the White House um, into the uh, chief technology officer's office uh, working for Anish Chopra uh, and I, I spent uh, four years in the White House uh, ultimately I became one of the US deputy chief technology officers and um, it was it was such a rewarding experience I had a chance to uh, lead President Obama's open data initiatives. Um, so how do we take data and, and make it a public good? So uh, I had a chance to help start and grow the Presidential Innovation Fellows Program, uh, helped with the start of the U.S. Digital Services. Um, and, you know, this was this was uh, exciting times and, and increasingly an administ administration that um, was recognizing how central technology was to service delivery. Uh, mm -hmm. Healthcare.gov uh, um, had its infamous challenges, and, and uh, my boss at the time, U.S. CTO Todd Park, helped uh, with uh, lead the rescue, um, and that really solidified the, the need to have a, a whole set of uh, technologists and governments. That that led to the creation of the the U.S. Digital Service, which was just getting stood up as I was leaving at the end of 2014, uh, and so I joined Insight Partners. Uh, headquartered in New York, but I live up here in the Massachusetts area um, at the very end of 2014. And I, I also joined uh, Harvard Kennedy School, where I'm a senior fellow at the Belfer Center, but I've, I've uh, served as adjunct faculty and designed and taught a class, uh, Tech and Innovation in Government, for the, for the last five years. Well, uh, let's dig into to some of your time in public service, um, specifically at the White House. First of all, what prompted your your decision to shift to the public sector? Well, it's something I'd always been really excited about. Um, I, I I guess I grew up in a family where um, my mother was very much of a, of a news junkie. Uh, my my grandfather had had uh, served in in the army, and so I. I'd always been interested in, in politics and, and in government and um, uh, had the, the fortune of being a White House intern when I was in college. And so I, I'd always been interested and, and I just didn't know kind of in what capacity I would, I would have the opportunity to serve. And it, 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 it took something like the Lehman bankruptcy to really force my hand and think about uh, um, doing a stint. And at the time, I, I, I thought it would just be a year or two 
And I, I, the more I got into it, the more I really appreciated the, the, the scale, the complexity, the chance to have impact at massive scale. Uh, and the people that I, that I met uh, who were so, so bright and hardworking and mission-oriented. And so what was going to be one to two years uh, turned into five and a half years. Can you describe for us I mean, what was the lay of the land when you got started there? You know, think things change so quickly in tech. You know, thinking back to the early 2010s, it was a different world uh, when it comes to things like broadband and communications. Yeah, it was definitely a different world. Um, so the the most jarring thing was just how behind government IT was. Uh, so when you think about kind of the the laptop or personal computer, the the kinds of uh, software applications that you could use, like those those kinds of things, are always a little bit jarring um, and, and 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 frustrating. Um, from a, a broadband perspective, the the FCC is involved in in classifying uh, what is the speed of of broadband and thinking about um, how to support. Uh, um, broadband subsidies through the, the Universal Service Fund. Um, and so it, it was a different time in, in many respects, um, but we still have have a digital divide today. So um, uh, for all of the, the, the good work that I think has been done, um, and, and certainly technology has changed. The I think the biggest difference in a decade is just how uh, mobile first we are. And 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 uh, the internet really is at our fingertips because everyone has has uh, smartphones. Yes, we had smartphones back in 2010, but but when you think about just the the rise of social media and the rise of mobile first in, in that decade, I think is is um, the, I, the other thing I'd say is is that there 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 was still this presumption of uh, of good for tech, and this is this is a bit of a broad broad. Brush because we, we certainly recognize that that um, there are downsides to to technology, but I I, I think generally speaking, the um, the Obama administration saw the potential for for all that technology can do, and that you, you you had a lot of idealism coming into government, and that included idealism about about technology and idealism about the technology industry. And if there's anything that the last 10 years have shown is, is that um, there's a lot of downsides to, to technology, to technology companies. And we see that in the, in the cybersecurity space, right? And just in, in terms of uh, all the challenges we're having from, from adversaries and, and breaches and, and so forth. We see that in, in the threats to um, our democracy, right? You know, uh, foreign states um, and, and, and their... Um, Affiliates using our own uh, social networks uh, to to sow misinformation and disinformation, and so uh, it's it's not that we didn't think about some of the downsides of, of technology, but there was it, it is fair to say that there there was more enthusiasm and presumption of good uh, certainly than there is now. You know, one of the things that you had a, you played a key role in was starting the Presidential Innovation Fellows Program. Can, can you describe to us so what, what was a what was that about and and what what uh, how did it come to be what what caused it to come to pass? Yeah, so so this was uh, the brainchild of my boss uh, at the time, who was um, U.S. Chief Technology Officer Todd Park, 
Todd is a serial entrepreneur, um, has created multiple multi-billion market, multi-billion dollar market cap companies. He, he came in and really was inspired by um, Code for America and their fellowship model. Um, and for those of you not familiar with Code for America, they started uh, by putting fellows in, in local government, uh, usually uh, mid-career technologists or earlier career technologists into, into government. Um, and inspired by that, but, but uh, adapting that model, uh, Todd went, went about the White House and convinced uh, senior leaders uh, that this would be a, a good injection of, of talent. And uh, we worked. Uh, so John Farmer was the, the lead of it uh, in the Office of Science and Technology Policy in the CTO's office with Ariane Gallagher and, and myself and others. So we, we convinced uh, some agencies to put forward some problem statements and, and, and have some internal teams. And then they went out. I think it was a TechCrunch Disrupt uh, that Todd, and, who was the U.S. CTO, and, and Steve Van Rokel, who was the U.S. CIO, went out and, and did a, uh, a call for applications and got several hundred folks to apply. And I think it was, it was north of a dozen, but, but, but not quite 20. I forget it was like 17 maybe or 18 in that first class. Um, people who were taking a real chance on, on us and we embedded them in the agencies and they were, they were working on things like making data more open and machine readable or making it easier to get your own uh, medical data, for example, at the VA, uh, the Blue Button Initiative, you know, they took a chance on us and it, it ended up being uh, a, a real injection of, of great entrepreneurial and technical talent. Um, and some of the folks stuck around and, and um, got so inspired by the, the, the mission problems that they were working on and the teams that they were working on that they stayed in government. And that actually led to the creation of tech units like uh, 18F at the General Services Administration and, and the Digital Services, um, the USDS. And, and so um, that was fantastic that some would stick around. And, and if you look now, like the, the chief technology officer of the VA, right? This is a, a Fortune 10 size enterprise um, with over 400,000 employees. Uh, Charles Worthington is a former PIF presidential innovation fellow. So it became a, a, an on-ramp uh, for technical and entrepreneurial talent. And the exciting thing about it is that it, it became a uh, bipartisan idea. Uh, it's something that um, President Obama uh, wrote in, in the executive order, uh, but then bipartisan legislation uh, was entered in, in, in Congress. Uh, and in fact, the very last bill that President Obama signed mere minutes before he handed over power. Uh, so he was actually in the Capitol and they were running around trying to find him so they could get his signature to make it uh, a law. The, the PIF program continues today and, and over 100 uh, fellows have, have served in government and many have gone back to, to work in startups and big tech and, and civic tech and nonprofits. But many have stayed in, in government, and, and it's something that I, I'm really excited to have played a, a small part in. You know, having gone back to the private sector now, how does the time that you spent in the public sector uh, inform the work that you do today? What I do at Insight is helping uh, private sec sector software companies who are winning in uh, the private sector. I help them 
enter and grow in, in the public sector market. So it's very relevant uh, because I, I have a, a better sense of uh, what the public sector is thinking and, and, and how, to, how to navigate kind of the, that mission orientation. Um, so for me, it, it was a natural thing to try and bring two, two parts of, of you know, my, my earlier venture capital experiences and then my, my experiences in government and trying to find a way to marry them. And then I also, at the Kennedy School, have been passionate about the, um, the next generation finding ways to serve directly in government. And so uh, um, it's been a lot of fun to kind of create this, this class and, and, um, and mentor uh, a number of students and, and student clubs. I know you're involved with an organization called Coding It Forward. Uh, that's a nonprofit organization. What sort of work do they do? Yeah, so Coding It Forward was a. Uh, it started with a, a couple students, uh, one of which was in my class, um, and a few others that I had become friendly with. Uh, and these were Harvard College students. Uh, most of my class is graduate students, but I, I also have have a, a couple undergraduates that that take the class as well. And, and uh, you know, one of them had, had spent a previous summer interning at, uh, like, Uber Engineering. And um, so they, they came to me, and they were looking for summer internships in the federal government. And they went on to usajobs.gov, which is the primary uh, um, website for, for federal hiring. And all they could find was a SharePoint implementation. Um, and no disrespect to SharePoint, but that not exactly cutting edge or that interesting for, for young computer science uh, students at Harvard. And so uh, being entrepreneurial students, they formed a, a, a nonprofit called Coding It Forward, uh, focused on the next generation of technical talent. And the first thing that they uh, have focused on is an internship, which they call the Civic Digital Fellowship. Uh, and so they, they've recruited from hundreds of, of colleges and universities across the country and placed those in a half dozen federal agencies uh, uh, with the kind of mentorship and uh, support um, working on technical products. Uh, and so this, these could be uh, uh, computer scientists or computer science students, uh, data scientists and data engin- engineers, uh, as well as um, designers. Uh, folks, you know, focused on on human centered design, and um, so I think this this is the fourth summer that they've run it, and uh, they had over sixty uh, fellows uh, placed this summer across a half dozen federal agencies. Some of these fellows have gone on to full time employment. Uh, they have a very popular demo day at the end of uh, of the summer, and so it's a great proof point that the next generation does want to serve in in government and and feels that. Um, they want to bring their technical skills to do a, a stint, and uh, many of these um, many of these students uh, um, want to make it uh, part of their career, at least a stint. And some of them want it to make it their entire career. And so it, it's really inspiring to me to see what uh, I guess we're calling it Generation Z, uh, how the, how they want to serve. And um, we have this whole idea of public interest uh, lawyers, right, and, and public mm-hmm. interest law, where the um, Lawyers kind of have a pro bono uh, expectation, and the the, the top uh, lawyers from top law schools go and clerk at Supreme Court or Federal Court of Appeals. And so there's a public service piece to uh, kind of elite law school, but every lawyer kind of 
is is trained with this idea of pro bono work, right? Um, and so we should be thinking about this in the context of of uh, technologists. And when I say technologists, I mean broadly speaking, right? Those in product management and design and and, and all the folks uh, in, in the broader technology um, uh, community. And so I, I'm I'm super excited that what coding it forward as a, a nonprofit. Um, that I, I mentor and advise, what they've been able to show about the next generation, uh, their desire to, to serve and, and, and help with some of the tech skills gap that we have in government. Our thanks to Nick Sinai from Insight Partners for joining us. Don't forget to sign up for the Recorded Future Cyber Daily email, where every day you'll receive the top results for trending technical indicators that are crossing the web, Cyber news, targeted industries, threat actors, exploited vulnerabilities, malware, suspicious IP addresses, and much more. You can find that at recordedfuture.com slash intel. We hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll subscribe and help spread the word among your colleagues and online. The Recorded Future podcast production team includes coordinating producer Caitlin Mattingly. The show is produced by The Cyberwire with executive editor Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Thank you.